Thank you, Elizabeth and Brett. It's good to see all of you. Can't see your smiles this morning, but I can see the smiles in your eyes, so that's good. Thank you for cooperating with us as we um, comply with the mayor's mandate for public buildings such as this to go ahead and wear masks indoors once more. So uh, we don't want to get kicked out of here. We just got back in. So that's why we're asking everyone to mask up once more. Hopefully this will be a shorter season than last one. And we can see each other's smiles once again very soon. I'd like to also welcome those of you who are tuning in online. And also extend our apologies to you for our um, inability, that's not a word, inability to live stream the past couple weeks, this week being no exception. We are still working through cutting red tape with Metro Nashville Public Schools to get internet access here uh, for our system. And apart from internet, we can do nothing as it um, comes to live streaming, which is a good segue into our sermon this morning from John chapter 15, where Jesus says to his disciples, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John this year, and we've come to chapter 15 now. This is in the middle of a section of teaching by Jesus that's known as the Upper Room Discourse. It's a long, very intimate, very personal um, section of teaching while Jesus is alone with his disciples for the Passover meal and then on into the evening. That's flows from chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17 of John. And and in this upper room discourse contains the last words of Jesus to his disciples. And last words are important words. They're very carefully chosen words. We saw in chapter 14 how Jesus began to comfort his disciples after he told them, hey guys, I'm leaving you. And they begin freaking out a little bit. And he says at the beginning of chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Here's why. And we went through the past two weeks, all the reasons why they shouldn't be troubled. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Well, we come here to chapter 15. They've finished the Passover meal. Jesus said everything's going to be okay. And at the end of chapter 14, we read that Jesus said to them, rise, let us go from here. Now, we we don't know exactly where the disciples and Jesus went um, as they left the upper room, but we do know that they eventually made their way through the city, outside the city walls, down the Kidron Valley to the east, across it, and to the Garden of Gethsemane at the base of the Mount, Mount of Olives. Because that's where we'll find them at the beginning of chapter 18 in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's not a stretch of the imagination to picture that Jesus, with his disciples, may have on his way to the garden, may have passed by a vineyard. It was spring. Remember, this is Passover time. It's spring. And so the vine dressers had probably been busy that day pruning the branches, cutting out the dead branches, piling the branches, dead branches in a pile. Perhaps there was even a, a smoldering fire, embers from a fire where the vine dressers had, had burned the dead branches from earlier that day. And as Jesus passes by the vineyard, he, like a master teacher, takes in his context and begins to teach his disciples From the familiar to the unfamiliar, like a parable. And there's an analogy here we're going to look at about a vine and branches 
and fruit. Would you stand with me as we read together from John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1? I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, be more, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, would you teach us this morning? Would you open our hearts to what your spirit would, through your word, speak to us? Lord, we need to be changed. We need to abide. We need to learn what that means. We need to have your life flow through us. So we ask that you'd meet us here and teach us with your word this morning. Amen. You may be seated. When I think of fruit, I think of peaches this time of year. Now, I didn't always like peaches. I think something about the fuzz on them when I was a kid, kind of the texture kind of weirded me out a little bit. But now that my palate is a little bit more refined, I love a good peach. These things are refreshing. They're sweet. They bring joy to my life. They're awesome in a milkshake, you know, peach milkshake. How many like peach milkshakes? Okay. You are, you are um, blessed. Um, those of you who don't, I'm sorry. You're missing out. But I have something to confess, confess to you this morning. These are fake. Good catch. These are fake. Now, I know that's probably a little bit of a disappointment <laughs> if you were expecting the real thing. But these just don't have any taste. You try to bite into them, nothing. They have the appearance of being attractive. They have the appearance of the real thing, but they're not. They're fake. However, 
I did stop by the Nashville peach truck yesterday morning over by the Franklin Farmer's Market, and these are the real deal. These have a good aroma. <laughs> they're sweet. They're refreshing. They bring joy to life if you were to bite into them. But these are a major disappointment, especially if you were expecting the real thing. You know, the same goes for people. You know, some people that are like this bag of peaches. <laughs> you get close to them and they're the real thing. They're sweet. They're kind. And a peach can't be kind, but just go with me on the analogy here, okay? They bring refreshment to those around them. They bring joy to the lives of those around them. Others are like this. When you get close, you realize, oh, that's not the real thing. That's a disappointment. As Christians, we're called to be the real thing. We're called to be fruitful and not fake. We're called to bring joy and refreshment into the lives of those around us. We're not meant to be dead branches with duct-taped fake fruit on them. Well, how, what's the difference? How can we make sure that we're being fruitful, bearing true fruit, and not just being fake? Jesus is going to tell us in our passage this morning. So if you're taking notes, there's three things we'll be looking at this morning, three buckets that we'll be putting our thoughts into, okay? Here's the outline. First of all, an analogy to understand. Secondly, a reality to feel. And thirdly, a dependency to live out. Say that out loud with me. First of all, an analogy to understand, a reality to feel, a dependency to live out. Let's jump right into the analogy that Jesus gives beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Now, when, when Jesus starts out with that first phrase, I am the true vine, it's easy to skip off of that and go right on to the next one, but we have to pause there because that little phrase is packed, jam-packed full of immense meaning. First of all, this is the seventh time in the Gospel of John that Jesus uses the Old Testament name for God, I am, that I am. Remember the burning bush scene? I am that I am. Six other times he said, I am this, I am I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. So six other times he said this. This is the seventh time. I am the true vine. By, by using ego eimi, the, the divine name of God in the Old Testament, this is a clear claim, the seventh one, the seventh clear claim to deity. So that's the first significant thing about the, this little phrase, I am the true vine. The second thing we need to know here is that throughout the Old Testament, the imagery of a vine is used symbolically to depict God's people, the nation of Israel. Israel is the vine, and God is the vine dresser that's tending to the vine. And, and almost every time that it's used in the Old Testament, it's used negatively. It's used negatively. Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Isaiah 27, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 12, Ezekiel 15, Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel 19, Hosea 10. The vine imagery is almost always used 
around the theme of Israel's failure to be fruitful as a vine. To be fruitful as God intended. God, God is a vine dresser. He's tending to Israel, the vine. He, he forms a covenant with Israel, places them in fertile soil in the promised land, in the center of the other nations. He blesses them, fertilizes waters. He, he's tending to this vine. But Israel fails to bear the fruit that God wants them to, to produce and bring forth. And God makes it clear throughout the Old Testament that the main purpose that, that he's chosen them as the vine, the main purpose that he's blessed them, called them out of all the other nations and said, you're mine, you're my people. The main purpose that he's done that is that they would bear life-giving fruit to the other nations around them. He's called them, as, they, as he called them out of Egypt, he, he said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, I don't have time to fully unpack what those two things mean. Some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but, but let me just try to sum, up, sum, sum it up very quickly. What's the function of a priest? It's to be a mediator between God and man. If they're to be a kingdom of priests, what are they to be? Who are they priests for? The other nations. So they're to be mediating the blessings of God to the nations and the worship of the nations to the one true God. And they're to be a holy nation. In other words, they're to be a showcase people. So that when the other nations look at Israel, they go, oh, aha, that's what God looks like. That's what God looks like. You know, we've been worshiping these idols and they're not working out very much for us. And so you must worship the real deal because look at the fruit in your lives. Can we know your God too? And the vine bears fruit of multiplication. That's the whole idea of this imagery of the vine. That's the whole reason why God chose Israel as his special people, his chosen nation. They were to go and bear fruit. But did Israel bear the fruit of obedience that God wanted? No. They kept breaking God's law. The Old Testament contains story of failure after story of failure after story of failure of Israel not living by God's commands. In fact, they, instead of worshiping him, they began worshiping the gods of the nations around them. They fail miserably. So vine imagery in the Old Testament was almost always accompanied with God's judgment on Israel for being fake, for not being a true vine, <laughs> a life-giving, life-producing, fruit-multiplying vine, for having appearance of right relationship with God but failing miserably. Vine imagery communicated judgment oftentimes for not bearing true fruit of obedience, first of all, and secondly, not bearing the fruit of multiplication, of bringing others to knowledge of the one true God. The nations were meant to know God through Israel, through the fruit. And the nations would be the fruit of multiplication as God, knowledge of God extended and reproduced, but it just didn't happen. And so when you heard as a first century Israelite, when you heard vine imagery, when, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, it was, oh no, here we go again, vine, and you begin cringing a little bit, oh no, here comes judgment. But what does Jesus do with the analogy of the vine here? What does he do? 
Does he, does he apply it to his disciples? You are the vine now. Israel failed, but now I'm taking you guys, and you are the vine. Does he do that? No, no, no. Who, who does the vine apply to now? Himself. I am the true vine. He takes that Old Testament imagery, use of Israel, and he applies it to himself. Unlike the old vine, Israel, I am the true vine, the better vine. In other words, I'm the true and better Israel. I'm the one who's going to fully obey God and bear life-giving true fruit. The covenant that Israel failed to uphold, I will uphold through my life. The fruit that Israel failed to bear, I will bear in myself. I am being for you what you could not be, and I will do for you what you cannot do on your own. I am the true vine. So by using this vine imagery here, this is nothing short of a gospel declaration from Jesus. Do you see that? He's entering into this history of moral failure and judgment that's been hanging over the people of Israel, and he says, don't worry, guys, I've got this. I've got this. I'm the true vine. You've not been able to be fruitful in a way that pleases God, but I've got this. I am the true vine. No matter how hard your forefathers worked or tried to please God, they always failed over and over again. They've fallen short, but I'm the one who's going to be obedient to the Father. I am the true vine that you've been unable to be. And secondly, the type of fruitfulness that you've been unable to produce on your own, well, I now I'm going to make that possible for you as the vine. If you simply believe my words, believe in me and connect to me, my fruit is going to come forth in your life. So here's the first part of the analogy we need to understand. Jesus is the true vine. He is for us what we cannot be and does for us what we cannot do. He's the one who lived the perfect life to please the Father. And he's the one that will bear fruit through his followers, the branches, which we'll get to in a second. This is why he tells the disciples when he calls them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Not follow me and you might become fishers of men if you work hard enough. No, I will make you fishers of men. This is also why in Acts, when he's about to send out the, the, the 12 and commission them to the world, says, wait here for the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. When the power of the Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of it. You will receive power, not you will muster it up on your own. <laughs> There's a big difference. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll go bear fruit, my fruit. You'll be my witnesses. Jesus is the true vine who is for us what we cannot be, obedient and pleasing to God, and does for us what we cannot do, bear the fruit of multiplication by making more multiplying disciples of Jesus. You get the imagery? All right, well, let's read on in the text. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Verse 2. Every branch that in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
So this is the second part of the analogy. We talked about the vine, and here's the second part. God the Father is the vine dresser. God the Father is the vine dresser, and he tends to the branches that are on the vine. He's the one who examines the branches on the vine. He removes the dead branches, and he prunes the live branches so that they become more fruitful. Now, I have some knockout rose bushes in my backyard. Anybody know what those are? Um, they're beautiful in the spring. And so every, every spring, usually around February or March, I'll go out to them, and I'll take my pruning shears, and I'll go up to them, and I will ruthlessly start cutting away at them. You know, I'll, I'll break off the dead branches and, and pile those up, sometimes even burn those in my fire pit in the backyard. But um, then I'll look at the live branches, and I'll, I'll go, you know, that needs to be cut right here. Now, there's one year where I didn't do my pruning. You know what happened that year? Not many roses. But when I do my pruning, guess what happens? A lot of fruit of a rose bush springs forth in these beautiful flowers. Now, we'll come back to this in a little bit. But for now, let's look at the third aspect of this analogy. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Skip down to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into fire, and burned. So here's the third part of this analogy. Unbelievers are fruitless branches. Unbelievers are fruitless branches. They're disconnected from Jesus and face judgment. They're disconnected from Jesus and face judgment. We can assume from this analogy that there are many people, some of whom might even claim to be Christians, who might call themselves Christians, who aren't the real deal. Their lives are like dead branches with fake fruit duct taped onto them. They look good from a distance, but when you get close, no, that's not the real thing. That's not the real thing. Where in this immediate context in John do we see an example of this? Anyone know? What's his name? One of the 12 disciples, actually. Judas. Judas. In a way, he was connected to Jesus, wasn't it? Wasn't he? he? He had followed him for three years. He'd even gone out on those little um, first century mission trips that Jesus sent his disciples on. He went out and did ministry along with the other 11 disciples. But it becomes evident that Judas didn't really receive the words of Jesus. He really didn't take in the words of Jesus and put his faith in Jesus. He didn't really believe that Jesus was who he said he was, because if he had, his actions would have been much different. He wasn't changed by Jesus. He didn't find life in Jesus. He wasn't abiding in the vine. No, at a heart level, he was seeking his life somewhere else, wasn't he? He rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and it's evident that he loved money more than he loved Jesus, because what was he willing to trade Jesus for? 30 pieces of silver. That's all Jesus was worth to him. Judas was using Jesus as a means to his own ends. He was worshiping something else. He wasn't looking to Jesus as his Messiah, as his Savior from sins. And we know that he got removed by the vine dresser. You read through the Gospels and that becomes clear. In a sense, 
He got cut off from the branch as a dead branch, as a fake branch that bared no fruit. And I'm not going to candy coat this because Jesus doesn't. Judas faced and continues to face eternal fiery judgment apart from the vine, the true vine. It's heartbreaking, but it's true. Jesus was very explicit about hell and judgment for those who did not put their faith in him as the way, the truth, and the life, as God's self-revelation, God the Father's revelation of himself, God in the flesh. There is judgment apart from the vine. This is the fate of all non-believers, unbelievers who reject Jesus. But even though there are dead branches, there are other branches in this analogy, and I'm thankful for that. Other branches that are truly connected to the vine, abiding in the vine, drawing life from the vine. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And this is the fourth aspect of the analogy. Believers are fruitful branches. Believers are fruitful branches. They're connected to Jesus and bear his fruit. The life of Jesus is flowing through them. Why? Because they're connected to the true vine. And so when they are pruned, they grow and mature and become more like Jesus, they become even more fruitful. So there's three things that I want you to hear in this part of the analogy. And the first is this. To be a true Christian is to be connected with Jesus. To be a true Christian is to be connected with Jesus. Notice the language of mutual indwelling here. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. This is similar to what we just saw in the previous chapter when when Jesus is talking about his relationship with his father. Remember what he says? I am in my father and my father is in me. It's that mutual indwelling language, again, that we see here. Likewise, the true Christian is in Christ and Christ is in the true Christian. That's why over and over and over and over again throughout the New Testament, especially in the writings of Paul, we see one little two-word phrase. Do you know what it is? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You can't read your New Testaments without seeing it over and over and over and over again. Why? It's this. A true believer is where? In Christ. And so when God the Father looks at a true believer, what does he see? Does he see your sin? No. He sees the righteousness of who? His son that lived the perfect life who is for us what we could not be and does for us what we cannot do on our own. The true vine. That's what he sees. He sees Christ's righteousness, not our sin. And he smiles. That's the gospel. True believers are connected to Christ. And God delights in us in Christ. So to be a true Christian is to be connected to Christ. Second thing I want you to pull from this part of the analogy is this. To be a true Christian is to bear the fruit of Christ. There's no such thing as a fruitless believer. 
There's no such thing as a fruitless believer. It's faith alone that saves, but that faith is never alone. It's faith alone that saves, but that faith is never alone. If you are truly connected to Jesus, his life will flow into you and will flow through you. His spirit will indwell you and bear fruit. And the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Singular fruit, not fruits, plural. They, they, they all come as a package and they grow incrementally in the life of a true believer. Because you can't have patience without love, right? They, they come together. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And others will see that you're different as the fruit of the Spirit grows in your life and they'll, they'll see that fruit. They'll see the real thing. They'll smell the aroma. They'll be attracted to you. And what is God going to do in and through your life? He's going to multiply his life into the life of others. His life that's flowing through you will multiply and spill over into the life of others as you make disciples, as the knowledge of God is extended to those who don't yet know him, who are looking for love in all the wrong places. They'll look at you and go, aha, you're different. What's different about you? And by God's grace, not our arguments or clever theology, by God's grace, you will have the opportunity to be used of God to bear fruit and multiply your life or the life of God into the lives of others as more disciples are made. As God draws more people to himself through his people. You know, he could choose to write the gospel in the sky, but he doesn't do that. He could choose to make a cloud formation and repent. <laughs> Jesus is real. Believe in me. You know, he, he could do that. He goes, oh, okay. No, but who, what does he, who does he choose? How has he, he chosen to make himself known in the world today? Us. Us. The branches that are bearing his fruit as we abide in connection with Jesus. So to be a true Christian is to be connected to Christ. To be a true Christian is to bear the fruit of Christ. Thirdly, true True Christians can expect to be pruned. Now, Now, I wish I could say this differently. I wish I could say true Christians can expect to be blessed, okay? Well, we can, but that blessing is actually pruning, which blows a few categories because we often don't think of pruning as being blessed. We often don't think of pain as being blessed. But that's the biblical framework for it. To follow Jesus is not to have your life magically go well. It did not go well for Jesus, so we can expect that it won't go well for us. In fact, the opposite of an easy, comfortable life is a better sign of a true believer. Why? God prunes fruitful branches. God prunes fruitful branches so that they bear even more fruit. You know, if I'm gentle with my knockout rosebush, just a little snip off the end, it's not going to flourish <laughs> and flower like it's meant to flower and bear fruit. God's goal, my friends, is not our happiness. 
It's our holiness. God's goal is not to multiply blessings as the world often calls them in our lives, but to multiply the fruit of the Spirit, to multiply his life into the lives of those around us to make more disciples of himself. And God knows that apart from pain, apart from suffering, you and I will never share in the sufferings of Christ. We won't have that fellowship with Christ, that knowledge. When you go through shared experience with somebody, there's a bondedness there. You know, I have a bondedness with, with Lee because we, we went canoeing down a river the other day, yesterday. There's a bondedness through shared experience. Jesus suffered His followers will too, and that bonds us to Christ. There's a fellowship of sharing in his sufferings that Paul talks about. True believers can expect to be pruned. Think about your spiritual growth. Did spiritual growth come when life was going well? When you're on easy street? It never has for me. In fact, the the times that I've grown most in my spiritual walk were when times when life was not going well. I think of a season just seven years ago when um, we, I had a very comfortable ministry that I loved, a job that I was really finding a lot of life in, and felt the need to uproot my family and move and, and come here to Tennessee, and it did not go as I had expected. And I spiraled into a depression. And yet God met me there in a dark spot, in a very painful part of my life. He pruned me in a way. He met me there. He caused pain in my life, but he did so because he wanted to bear more fruit through my life. I look back and I'm thankful for that season of darkness right now. Because in that darkness, God made me more like Jesus so that more fruit could spring forth from my life. So I would be more healthy in my following of his son, Jesus. God can be trusted. And those deep cuts from the pruning shears come from a loving and sovereign vine dresser. James 1, 2 through 4, the half-brother of Jesus writes this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Believers, you can expect to be pruned by the skilled, strategic, and loving cuts of an all-knowing vine dresser. And anyone who tells you differently, anyone who says the Christian life is meant to be a, a bowl of cherries, is speaking with a forked tongue and is trying to sell you something other than Jesus. So to review... Here's the analogy to understand. Jesus is the true vine. God the Father is the vine dressers. Unbelievers are the dead branches. Believers are the fruitful branches that the vine dresser prunes. And so now we're going to turn our attention to the second part of our outline, a reality to feel, a reality to feel. You know, I used to read this passage in John chapter 15 and feel a lot of fear, thinking, 
What if I'm not a true believer? How many of you have <laughs> read this passage and thought that before? Okay, let's be honest. Okay, quite a few of you. What if I'm not a true believer? What, what, if, what if I'm a dead branch? I know I'm anything but perfect. I, I know my own sin. What if I'm just faking it? What if I'm not a real disciple? You know, I better work hard to produce more fruit so that God's happy with me so that I don't get cut off. I better work hard to abide. You know, I used to, used to read this passage in that way and go immediately toward feeling shame and respond with a do more, try harder attitude. I was reading in this, this passage in a way that was totally antithetical to the gospel. But that's before I took a really deep look at verse 3. One we skipped over. But let's go back to it now. Talking to his disciples after he says, I'm the vine, my father's the vine dresser, he says this, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Say that out loud with me. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, at first glance, this verse seems totally out of place, totally out of context when we're talking about pruning of branches. But there's something you need to know here. This is very much a play on words in the original Greek. The Greek adjective translated clean here is the word katharoi. It's the same um, root word as the Greek verb that's translated kathairo or to prune, to clean, to make a, in this context, to make a clean cut. So this is a, a play on words here. And Jesus tells his remaining 11 disciples that they're already clean. The vine dresser has already done his work in them. He hasn't removed them like a dead branch. He's cleansed them. Where else have we heard this phrase, you are already clean in John? Not too many chapters earlier, Remember? When Jesus is washing his disciples' feet in chapter 13, he gets to Peter and he begins to wash Peter's feet and Peter protests and says, not my feet, Lord, not my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And then Jesus is like, well, okay, well, wash the whole thing. You know, Give me a whole bath, Jesus. And Jesus responds and he, and he says, he switches from the literal to the figurative and he says, you're already clean, Peter. You don't need a bath. You're already clean, but not every one of you. And who's he referring to there? You're already clean, but not every one of you. He's referring to Judas. You're already clean. You're already righteous and accepted in God's sight. Why? Because you believe. Because you believe. Unlike Judas, you've put your faith in me, Peter. You've received the word that I've spoken to you. You're now connected to me, the true vine, and my righteousness is now yours. You're already clean in God's sight. And the sacrifice that I'm going to make on your behalf tomorrow is going to seal the deal. And yes, Peter, you're going to screw up. Yes, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Yes, Peter, you're not perfect by any means, but you're mine. You're already clean. You're my sheep. No one can pluck you out of my hand. The Father who's greater than me holds you as well, and nobody can pluck you out of my Father's hand you're mine because you believe, not because you're perfect. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That's the difference between Judas and Peter. Belief. Belief. And so that's why Paul can say in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See how this works together? Here's the reality to feel. The reality to feel. Say this out loud with me. As a believer, you're already loved, already accepted, already clean. Isn't that good news? As a believer, you are already loved, already accepted, already clean. You are already clean because the word has spoken to you. You've taken that word. You've received it. You've believed it. You've believed in me. You're clean. You're not a dead branch. If you believe you're a live branch that's going to bear fruit and is going to get pruned. Live out of that identity. Let my life flow into you and through you, and it will bear fruit. Now, let's quickly read. I wish I should have taken this sermon in two, two sermons, but let's quickly read verse 7 through 17 again from that perspective, shall we? You're loved. You're accepted. You're already clean. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and they will, <laughs> ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It goes back to what we talked about last week of asking in the name of Jesus. If we ask anything in the name of Jesus or as representing Jesus' interests, asking for what Jesus would ask for as we continue his work in the world, he will do it for us. So this isn't a blank check. It's back to what we talked about last week. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you you. You're already loved. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in my Father's name, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Those verses read so much differently where you don't skip over the truth in verse 3. That you're already clean. Abiding in Jesus, bearing fruit, loving each other isn't how we gain God's approval. It's what naturally happens because we already have God's approval as branches. We've already been grafted into the true vine. And bearing fruit flows from the true vine that we've been connected to by God's grace. You're already loved. You're already accepted. You're already clean. We didn't choose him. He chose us. So if you believe, you're a true branch. 
And he's appointed you, he's appointed me to go and bear his fruit, not our own, not some fake fruit we try to conjure up on our own, but the real thing, his fruit. There's so much that I'd love to unpack this morning that our time is short and I need to land the plane. We've, we've looked at the analogy to understand the reality of feel, and that's quickly um, covered the, de- the, the dependency to live out. There's one word that appears 11 times in this passage. Did you catch it? If you're a good student of the Bible and you see something repeated, you know, oh, that's important. 11 times one word appears. You know what it is? Abide, 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 abide. Any guesses as to what Jesus is asking us as branches to do? (laughs) Abide. This is the dependency to live out. Abide. In other words, it's more about being with him than it is about doing things for him. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, Mark 3.14 puts it this way, he, he chose 12 to be with him and to be sent out by him. He put the priority on being with him before he said to go and bear fruit, before he sent them out to multiply. Be with me. Be connected to me. And this hit me right between the eyes this week as I prepared this message. With more leadership falling on me here at church in the wake of Phil's departure, I've been feeling a lot of pressure to do, to perform, to keep ministry going, to get stuff done. And Jesus reminded me this week, Mark, cool your jets. Don't get so uptight about doing, just be. Just be with me. Sure, you can go conjure up a bowl of fake fruit on your own, But that's not what I'm asking you to do with my church. And by the way, it's my church, not yours. I'm asking you to abide, to be with me. After all, it's my fruit, not yours. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Stay connected. Abide. Let me worry about the fruit. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's all that Jesus is asking you to do as well. Abide. Be with him. Actively depend on him. How? It's not complicated. He's left us his word. He's asked us to pray. He's asked us to gather in the fellowship of his fellow believers. Probably the best analogy of abiding that I can give you this morning is this. Your cell phone. If you were to misplace it, you'd probably panic a little bit, right? You'd freak out, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Where's my... Why? Because it's always with you. You're, depend... You're actively dependent on it, aren't you? You're constantly connected to it, and if you're like me, you'd be a little lost without it. Sometimes the first thing you reach for when you wake up, the last thing you look at when you go to bed. And I know this question is convicting, but what would it look like for you to reach for Jesus this week as often as you reach for this? To reach for Jesus this week as often as you reach for your cell phone. What would it look like for you to abide in Jesus more than your newsfeed? To abide in Jesus more than your social media feed. To abide in Jesus than feed on whatever it is that you look up when you pick this up. My friends, we are called to be fruitful, not fake. And we can't bear the fruit of Christ without connection to Christ. Through his word, through prayer, through the fellowship of fellow believers. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us to believe it, help us to really um, be convinced of the fact that apart from you, we cannot do anything. We are so oftentimes um, self-sufficient in the way we approach life, even the way we approach ministry. The Lord, teach us that we cannot do anything apart from the true vine. Help us to stop trying to be the vine and simply be the branches connected to the true vine, letting his life flow in us and through us. And may we bear fruit of that connection, your fruit, the fruit of obedience, the fruit of the spirit that grows incrementally in our lives so that others are attracted to you through us. We pray. Amen.